0: What was assigned to me this morning is your series. Apparently, you're going through Genesis, right? And the life of Abraham. And so, Brian said you have Genesis 17 and 18. Two chapters in Genesis. Okay, you guys ready to just... I hope you packed up your cars because I'm going to be here for a few hours. No, No, I've come up with, a, I think, a pretty cool message. Um, Just looking through chapters 17 and 18. um, And it's a message that I've titled... The two laughs, the two laughs, and uh, so if you have your Bibles, turn there to Genesis 17 and 18, and I'm going to read um, three sections of in these chapters, and then I'll pray, and then we'll we'll get into the text. Okay, let's start with uh, chapter 17, verse one. It says, "When Abraham, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram." and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. And then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, and no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I am have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And then look over in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name, and I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her, and I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face and he laughed and he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And then turn over to 18. In verse 1, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, and he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and bowed himself to the earth and said, "O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servants." And so they said, Do as you said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three seeds of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. And then he took curds of milk uh, and milk and the calf, and he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, well, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She is in the tent, and the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him, and now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of women had, had ceased to be with Sarah. And so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, Shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. (laughs) <laughs> the two laughs You know, just like We're all unique in our appearance And we're, you know, like snowflakes Are all unique, there's only one of a kind i found that Laughs are one of, one of a kind That we all have a, a Unique laugh That represents us Just like we have different personalities And even those with annoying laughs You're, you're created in the image of God God's in your laugh. For for his glory. And and laughter is so good. I'm so glad God gave us laughter. We read in Proverbs that laughter is good medicine. And I I can't think of anything better to medicate me than a good hearty laugh. Do you agree? And so God gives us laughter as an expression, as a response. And what we see in Abraham and Sarah... We see them both laughing. We see two different laughs, and I want to talk about that. But I want to talk about our faith, and having a childlike faith, having an authentic faith in a very cynical world. And that's what I saw in these two chapters. You know, God is reaffirming his covenant with Abraham. Uh, He's Abram up to this point, and she is Sarai. And part of the re- reaffirmation of the covenant that God is making with Abraham is He now changes His name. Um, much like in our culture, the closest thing we have to true covenant relationship in our society would be marriage, right? And two people come together, the two become one. And one thing that happens is, you know, my wife Angie. And by the way, my wife Angie is here this morning. She never goes <laughs> to her. She took my name. She was no longer Angie Hughes. She was, what's a horrible name anyway, but she's no longer Angie Hughes, but she's Angie Nelson, right? She took my name. It was part of our covenant with each other. Everything that I had, had became hers. Everything that she had became mine. We entered into a true covenant relationship. And that's what God's doing with Abraham and Sarah. They're Abram and Sarai. And so God takes his name Yahweh and inserts his name into Abram's name and now he's, now Abraham. And his name is representative of this covenant. And so this is later on in Abram's life. And he's now, you know, he has a child. He has Ishmael. He he tried to circumvent, circumvent God's plan but God's not done with Abraham. And God comes to him and says, no, I'm reaffirming my covenant with you. You're 99 years old, and when you turn 100, you're going to have a child, and Sarah's going to bear that child, and I'm going to fulfill the covenant that, I have in, that I've made in your life. And this is an amazing work of God's grace that all of Abraham's twists and turns and times of fear and disobedience and things that we can all relate to God, like we talked about yesterday, God had something in mind when he first called Abraham out of the earth of the Chaldees, and now God is going to see it through, and that's true in our lives. Even when we're faithless, God remains faithful. God is going to follow through. He's going to see you through. He's going to accomplish the good work in your life. Everything that God begins, he completes. And he causes all things to work together for good. For those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. And I love that. That when God brings us to our destination, it's all by his mercy and his grace. And it all goes to his glory. And he constantly puts us in circumstances. You're not weird. You're not... Uh, you're not going the wrong way. When you find yourself in a circumstance or a time of your life where unless God does something, God bails you out, then you're going to sink, and God has to do it. And what we find in this account is that that's how God works in all of our lives. Abraham is a representative. He represents to us what it looks like to live by faith. But if living by faith was easy, everyone would do it. But living by faith is difficult. Living by faith is a struggle. So what we find in here is that at the moment in Abraham's life, when there was a complete, total impossibility for him to have a son, that's when God breaks in. And God has done that over and over in my life and in in your lives, that when it was just a total impossibility, that's when God shines. And he says here, here's the most amazing phrase, sentence in the Bible, is anything too hard for the Lord? It should be a rhetorical question, no, but unfortunately for many people it's not a rhetorical because they don't have faith. The the element that makes is anything too hard for the Lord a rhetorical question, it's, it's that component of faith. And so God is constantly strengthening our faith. Why do we have a tendency when it comes to God to think in degrees of difficulty? If that statement is true, for some reason, I... I think of things in degrees of difficulty. Someone says, I have a headache, right? And you go, Lord, just bless John, heal his headache. Lord, help him feel better. We believe you can do it in Jesus' name, amen, right on. But then, you go to the hospital, and you pray for someone who has cancer. All of a sudden, it's not a simple prayer. You become Mr. Pentecostal, right? God, you know, we're, you know, dude, you gotta do something in Jesus' name, hey, you know. And you get all Pentecostal. Why do we do that? Why do we? Why do we think in degrees of difficulty with God? If if, if anything too hard for the Lord, I wake you up. Good, praise God. But uh, <laughs> um, cancer is just as God is just as able to heal that as He is to heal a headache. God is able to um, do anything, if anything is too hard for the Lord. But we tend to look at circumstances and difficulties and degrees of difficulty. But what do we find here? God comes on the scene. um, We see that there's these two travelers. There's actually, they're two angels, really. And I believe they're both the, the two angels that also helped Lot escape Sodom a little bit later. But also there's a third one here. And, and most scholars, you know, believe that this is another account of what we call a Christophany, which is an appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ. Just like, remember when Shadrach, Shadrach Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into the fire, and they looked, Nebuchadnezzar looked into the fire and he said, there's not three, but there's four, and one looks like the, a son of God, right? So here we see Abraham with this third person i believe the pre-incarnate christ and he calls him lord and so here i believe god is on the scene and he's he's reaffirming and he's this is the moment when he's following through with his promise and he's following through with his promise at a time when it's completely <coughs> impossible now this isn't the first time throughout scripture this is a theme Is anything too hard for the Lord? Remember when Moses uh, was concerned if God would provide food in the wilderness and in Numbers 11, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Has the Lord's arm been shortened? How shall How you shall see whether what I say will happen to you or not? And Jeremiah was questioning if God could restore his people. And it says in Jeremiah 32, 27, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Of course, when the angel spoke to Mary, that Elizabeth would, be, would give birth to John, John the Baptist in Luke 1, for with God nothing will be impossible. And then Jesus to the rich young ruler in Luke 18, that Jesus said, The things which are possible, impossible with men... With God So this is a theme throughout the scriptures God is reaffirming His promise and we have two laughs So Verse 17 of chapter 17 Abraham fell on his face And he laughed, shall I have a child? And then in verse 18 Sarah overhears In the tent and she laughs And she denies that she laughs And here's the two different laughs Abraham was not laughing at the promise, but he was laughing at the proposal. He's like a little kid going, seriously? <laughs> I mean, you look down, wrinkles, I'm going to have a kid? Seriously? His laughter is its at the proposal, it's not at the promise. He's he's laughing, he's giddy, because he's thinking, I I can't wait to see how God is going to pull this off. How's God going to do this? And it's a laughter of faith. It's a giddiness of God's going to do something, and I I can't wait to see it. I don't know how he's going to do it. I don't know how he's going to accomplish it. My, My wife has passed menopause. I mean, we haven't, you know, fooled around in years, and and, and, and and Sarah talks about that too. And seriously? And he's laughing. And then we come to chapter 18, and Sarah laughs, but her laugh wasn't at the proposal, her laugh was at the promise. Her laugh was a cynical laugh. Yeah, right. I'm 90 years old. Seriously? Listen, God, would you stop toying around with us? You know, we've been down this road. We've been down this journey. And they're both laughing. And I have found that we have two laughs at the promises of God. Whenever we're facing an impossibility, something that unless God breaks through, things are over. Things are hopeless. And I found myself, even in my journey, laughing in these both different ways of, wow, praise God, filled with faith. He's going to do it. I believe God's going to come through. He's going to pull this off. But I find myself at other times in my life where I've been cynical, Mm -hmm. where I've been discouraged. Yeah, right. Even as a pastor praying for people, I've had been filled with faith, and I've had a laugh full of faith knowing that nothing is impossible for God. But I've also found myself praying for people who've struggled and going, yeah, right, whatever. They need to just get their act together. Listen, friends, we live in a cynical world. And unfortunately, cynicism has even spilled into the church. And the poison of cynicism is it robs us from the childlike faith that God wants us to enjoy. It robs us from the faith that makes this life of faith a true adventure of seeing God do miraculous things. When I look at the two last it's, it's more convicting than encouraging because we, I, I live in a cynical society. Uh, This is true. Why is it when I hear missionary stories from uh, Africa and and South America and people are raised from the dead, limbs come on people's bodies, people are once blind and now they see and all these miracles are taking place because these people are desperate for God and unless God breaks through, they're lost. They can't run down to the doctor. They can't get therapy on their, you know, with, with their situation. They have God and nothing else. And in that circumstance, God breaks through and does miraculous things. And it's their fate. And why is it in Sydney or L.A. or wherever, you know, we, we, you know, I'm struggling with this. We'll just hang in there, you know. we should go see the doctor. Don't get me wrong. Don't misinterpret me. But I think you understand what I'm saying. We live in a cynical society where we are sort of trained and sort of immune to being desperate for God and being believing that God needs a breakthrough in big things. Cynicism in the world. It's the water we swim in. Now, that's understandable. (laughs) In the streets... In in non-Christian environments understandable people are cynical towards the church because of all the stupid things that church has done in the past but it has spilled into the church too I've found so my point is is God wants to stir us up once again He wants to on a daily basis give us the heart of a child you know when, when my kids were little you know I could do anything Right? If I said, hey, I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go tear down that building over there, son, He say, okay, dad, let's go, you know. <laughs> Whatever I said I, at that age, they never doubted that I'd come through for them. You know, they never stressed about, having, you know, if I would bring lunch, you know, or they'd have breakfast the next morning. They you know, always knew that, that mom and dad would come through for them. But as we grow older, we get more cynical. And God wants to renew in us a childlike faith. But we just trust God because He's faithful. We just trust God because He has a plan. We just trust God because nothing is impossible for God. So what are we praying for right now? Let me ask the question. You have to answer out loud. But what, what's like the number one prayer? Is it a relationship? Is it a job? Is it a ministry thing? What is it? Just identify it right now. Biblically, whatever you're praying right now, it's too small. You're praying too small. Whatever, Lord, fix this relationship. You're, whatever you're. Philippians 3 says that God wants to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. So we're praying for something, and God has something far greater in mind for your life. He sees the big picture. He has something in mind for you that is way above, exceedingly and abundantly above all that you're asking or thinking right now that will be the best for you and will bring the most glory to him. And that is what God is at work in our life. It's far bigger. And nothing is impossible for the Lord. This passage challenges me not to be cynical in, a modern, in this modern world. Because Sarah was cynical. She, she didn't believe God. But God, he comes through anyway. Because that's just how God is. He's an amazingly gracious God. The problem this presents is that God demands the impossible. It's a requirement in following God and living by faith. If you remember in Judges, remember Gideon, we talked about him yesterday. He faced um, a hundred and, you know, he faced these Midianites, you know, thousands of Midianites, and God had to whittle it down because the odds were too good. Here he was against all these odds, and God had to whittle down. He finally whittled it down to where there was you know, only 10,000 Israelites, so he whittled it down to 32,000 uh, Midianites. So the odds were 13 to 1, right? And then God said, hey, look, the, the, the odds are still too good. See, I want to put you in a position, Gideon, where it's going to be impossible for you to win the battle without me. Where he whittled it down to where the odds were 450 to 1, to 300, whittled down the Israelites. 450 to 1, he said, now you're ready. Now I can come through. Why? Because God's purpose is to display his glory and to help us to see How utterly dependent we are upon him. And this is the purpose of God in all that he does in creation and redemption. God purposes in all that he does, John Piper says it the best, to magnify his sovereign grace and keep us in our humble place. That's why he does it. This is good news. This isn't bad news because God himself is more valuable and more satisfying than anything we could ever do or be on our own power. The most loving thing that God can do for us is to make himself absolutely necessary to us. That's the most loving thing God can do, is not to make much of us, but to work in our lives so that we can enjoy making much of him. 1 Corinthians 1 but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, and the base things of the world that uh, and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Where we stand back and we go, that must be God because I know me. (laughs) And all God needs is just any old fool, any old good fool like Pete Nelson to do a great work. Because if you can explain what's going on, God didn't do it. George Mueller, amazing man of faith, said this, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. I remember a quote by Alan Redpath who said, When you're at the end of yourself, you're at the beginning of God. God had to bring Abraham and Sarah at the very end of themselves. Even when they thought they were at the end, They weren't at the end yet. They were completely, in these chapters, they're at the very end of themselves. But when they're at the end of themselves, they're right there at the beginning of an amazing miracle of God. They're at the beginning of God. Friends, God brings us to the end of ourselves so that we can begin to experience the bigness of God and a miraculous God. He's not doing this to be cruel or mean. He's not toying with your life. He has something more amazing and more spectacular than you can even imagine. He has a life, an abundant life for you. He has relationships for you. He has a life for you that is something you can never pull off and orchestrate, but he has to, we need to be empty. We need to come to the end of ourselves so that he can begin that amazing work. And that is the life of faith. Abraham and Sarah, they represent that to us. So, like us, Abraham tried to escape this reality. He escaped in Genesis 15. You studied this. You know, He, the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. He tried to, you know, circumvent God's plan. He tried to escape again in Genesis 16. He to have Hagar. Uh, he slept with Hagar and, and you know had Ishmael. But God says no. I won't accept those things as Abraham was trying to help out God. I'm going to do it the impossible way. Why won't God settle for the humanly possible? Why won't God offer for anything less than the path of impossibility? Well he tells us right here, there it is. Genesis 18. That's the reason God will not settle for anything less than the path of impossibility. He aims to show that nothing is too difficult for him. That's what he aims to show all of us. God planned a way that made the promise to Abraham humanly possible. So all of Abraham's life, we're all sort of setting him up to where Abraham concluded that it was humanly impossible. To have an heir, to fulfill the promise that all of your descendants will be as the stars of the heaven. That's where we find Abraham. Have you ever been there before? <laughs> have you ever found yourself in that place? Augustine said, God does not expect us to submit our faith to him without reason, but the very limits of our reason make faith a necessity. And so if God goes beyond our reason, that's why without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11. You see, everything going on in your life is God making much of himself and help us to not take ourselves so seriously and to make less of us but more of him. Because nothing is too difficult for you. And until we get there, we'll never know that. The chief end of man is to glorify God, and the avenue is faith. And God's purpose is to do what is humanly impossible so that we have to to trust His power and His grace. And God, God knows what you're facing. He knows what you're facing today. He knows your dilemmas. He knows... Your struggle He knows everything. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But let me ask you this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Hey, take, take your problem and ask this question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? But you're saying, no, Pete, you don't know me, okay? I've got real problems. You, you don't understand. This has been going on. I've got real problems. Well, consider this. Consider what God can pull off. The Milky Way is, they say that there's a 100 billion other stars larger than our sun. Our sun is 10,000 times 100,000 light years in diameter. A light year, it's the distance in a year um, that travels nearly 300 meters per second. 300 million meters per second. That's that's a light year. In one year, traveling at 300 million meters per second. At this speed, you'd circle the earth seven and a half times in one second. At this speed, you'd reach the moon in one and a half seconds. At this speed, in seven and a half minutes, you would pass the sun. At this speed, you would reach the nearest star, Alpha Centauri, in two and a half years. At this speed, it'd take 100,000 light years to traverse the Milky Way. And they say that there's another 100 billion (laughs) galaxies outside of that. Think about that. Think about what God can pull off. Now, stop there, and now you're sitting in your blue plastic chair with your problem. And put that in reverse and come past the Milky Way, past the sun, past the moon, coming right down here, right into your chair. Seriously, is there anything too hard for the Lord? You've answered your so God is most satisfied he's most glorified when we are dependent upon him when we are when he is absolutely necessary to us in all situations not about you but that's good news and that's the life of faith That's what it looks like. And when God comes through, that's yours. You have that testimony. That's something that you have that no one can take from you. And I can tell you right now, there's no better life than the life of faith. As difficult as it is, the most amazing adventure you can have is to live your life by faith. Let's not be cynical. Let's be like children that take our Father's hand Let him lead us where he wants us to go. Let's not let the world creep in and and allow its cynicism to, to keep us from the incredible journey of faith that God has in store for us. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this passage of scripture. Lord, we just want to humble ourselves before you. And first of all, thank you as we've been singing. Thank you for Jesus for rescuing us. That was an impossibility. That's the greatest miracle of all. Lord, you rescued us and you planted us in your family of faith. And now, Lord, I pray for everyone here that you'd leave this morning with a fresh perspective, Lord, that you'd be so far greater and larger and bigger than anything that we're facing as we go back into the city, into our normal way of life, Lord, that you'd just be this big God. Lord, that we would be like children, And Lord, we would have that laugh of faith that we would be giddy even, saying, God, how are you going to pull this off? We believe you. We trust you. We know you have a plan. Lord, I pray for anyone here who they're, they're struggling in their faith. They're discouraged. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you come and minister to their deepest needs and grant them, Lord, the gift of faith. Lord, as we, as we let go of the things that tie us down and we cling to you, Lord, in Jesus' name.